Twiceborn Podcast. I'm Mike Bailey. If you haven't already, please go to the website twiceborn.net. If you would like to reach out, please email twicebornministry at gmail.com. Enjoy. And so I grew up in the church, so it's hard for me to really empathize or understand what it is never to be in church. And I try to do my very best to, to kind of put myself in someone's shoes who's never been in church before. But, you know, even when you're in church your whole life, you can miss the importance of the resurrection. You can miss the importance of the cross. You can turn the faith that we have, uh, this, this Christian faith, into just a list of do's and do nots. And this morning, as we talk about the cost, what is the cost that Jesus took upon himself onto that cross? Because I believe unless we understand the cost of the cross, the cost of our sin, we truly won't understand, first, the love God has for us, but second, the love that he wants us to have for him. And so we're going to dive into that today. And I can tell you the cost of the cross was our sin. Sin put Jesus on the cross. And we're going to look at the origins of sin today. We're going to look at uh, how sin has played out throughout history. And then next week, we're going to look at uh, how sin impacts all our lives and, and what we're to do about that. But today, as we look at this, I think about my interaction with this idea of Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. You know, for someone who's from another country or someone who's never heard the gospel before, um, it can be shocking to realize that the cross is an agent of death. The cross is a tool used by the government to put to death those that have uh, broken the law. And so the cross is not a beautiful thing. The cross is not something that was used to encourage people in Roman days. The cross was not a place of, of joy. It wasn't a place of laughter. It wasn't a place where you wanted your family to come around. But yet today, we're all, there's a cross on the steeple, right? The cross means something. The cross has power. The cross is a symbol that brings us to a truth. And so I can remember those first interactions because I'm going to tell you, uh, maybe you can relate to this, there was a time where Jesus dying on the cross was just something I knew. It was just a fact. It had no emotional implications in my life. It didn't move me. It didn't motivate me. It didn't really mean that much to me. And I just, it was a head knowledge, but it wasn't truly a heart knowledge. And I can remember distinctly when I was in college we had a, a physician, a doctor, who actually worked with hearts and worked with uh, people that were going through heart attacks and having issues uh, to deal with blood in the heart. And he came and shared with us the scientific and physiological condition of what happened of Jesus going to the cross. And he was going specifically through every event that led to the cross and how Jesus would have, his body would have gone through so much trauma, how his body would have been um, just in such disarray that he, we're even told that he was beaten to a place where you wouldn't recognize him. And then he, when he was placed on the cross, the agony of the cross, the tool of instrument that was for pain and for death and the actual uh, absolute just anguish that Jesus had when he was on the cross. I remember him explaining this and then talking about the fact that the, the reality was as bad as that was, as bad as the physical pain was, as bad as the things leading up to the cross was, as bad as the pain of the nails were to Jesus, that the greatest pain that our Lord suffered was the moment that he realized that his relationship with the Father had been broken, that sin had separated him from his heavenly father. 
And in that moment, that breaking of the bond of the purpose of our existence, that breaking of the bond of the reason we exist to love and worship our Heavenly Father was broken for the one true vessel. And I can remember listening to this, and I can remember for the very first time in my life, something began to stir. Emotion began to stir within me. There was something that was greater than just me understanding it. Something greater than me just understanding the concepts of what happened. But now it began to become personal. That it was me, that my lies, my pride, my deceptions, my sin was the reason he went through all of that recognizing that he went there because he loved me, that he was willing to take my rejection, he was willing to take my embracing of the thing he hates and go to that cross and allow himself to shed that pure blood, that absolutely perfect blood for my sin. And I can remember the emotions of it. I remember crying for the first time, crying about the fact that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins. It was no longer just a, a phrase that I said. It was no longer just something that I knew. It was something that I was. Something I recognized as the most valuable, most important thing, the most treasured thing that I need to put my mind to. And then many of you, uh, probably now about 10 years ago, Mel Gibson produced the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And as you watch that movie, if you've seen the movie, you see the brutality of the Romans as Christ went to the cross. And as you saw those images and you reflected on the fact that as you watch that, you recognize the only reason that is happening, the only reason that is occurring is because it's the only way for me to be with my Heavenly Father. It was the only way, the cost that Jesus paid for you and for me. If we're truly to prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday, if we're truly to be followers of the one true God, if we're truly to love him with all that we are, we need to realize the impact of sin. We have to realize the cost of sin. We live in a world that has almost deleted the word sin. We live in a world that the only sin is is to do something that I don't like. And we've rejected the truth of what Scripture teaches us, that sin is, is something that brings death to all things. And it is the cost that Christ paid on the cross. And so this morning as we look at this, I want to dive into God's word and I want to ask the question, why did Jesus need to die for us on the cross? Why did he have to go to the cross? Why couldn't he just forgive us? Why the cross? Why such pain? Why such agony? Why such torment? Why was it such a high cost? And so my prayer is that God would speak to all of our hearts this morning as we search his word and ask him to speak to us. So let us precede his word with prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift. First, the gift of the oxygen that brings life into this world. But secondly, and most importantly, for the gift of eternal life that you've given us by shedding your blood and letting your body be broken. Lord, as we talk, sometimes these are just words, and I pray, Lord, they would be more than words. I pray that our hearts would be stirred. I pray that our emotions would connect to these truths. I pray that our very souls would realize the depth of your love and the cost that you paid. 
Lord, as we talk about this, I pray it would be your spirit that guides the conversation. I pray that you would reveal new things to us, that you inspire and grow us. That, Lord, we would know you better because of the words that you say to us now. Lord, I pray that you would protect our hearts and our minds from that enemy that is around us at all times. I pray that you would direct this conversation in your words, that you would lead us not into places of temptation. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would bring life and you would bring wisdom to us now as we seek you. Lord, I pray that uh, we would recognize that you are returning and that, Lord, you have paid this price. You have paid the cost of our sin and we look forward to your return. But, Lord, help us not to lose sight of the importance of sharing this good uh, message of the gospel with as many as we can in the time that you give us. Help us to be faithful. And, Lord, let, let us look at the cost and recognize the importance of the hour and day. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Speak to us as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the things that I've been, uh, that's been an eye-opener for me as a pastor, especially I worked with youth for almost 10 years, is just within the family unit in the United States, I think if you were born in, in the, the 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s, you probably have fairly st uh, established foundation of biblical truths. You probably went to Sunday school. You probably had a flannel graph. Um, you probably had a teacher that was teaching you about uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, and you knew these basic fundamental stories. You knew maybe the scope of the Bible. Maybe it wasn't really detailed, but you had an idea. So I believe for the majority of people that were raised in our nation uh, that were born before the 70s probably had a, a fairly firm foundation taught to them. I believe past that time period, the generations that I'm in, the generations that are on their way up really have no understanding of Scripture. They have no understanding of what God's word has to say to our world, to, to understand the world we live in, to, to give a, a sense of scope and a sense of identity to all of us. And so this morning, I really want to start with some basic things. I want to talk to you about some things you already know, but these are things that people around us in this world do not know, and they need to know. You see, we struggle in our country and we struggle in our lives, and as you watch the news and you read the headlines, we struggle because we see a problem. We see that the world is messy. We see that things keep getting worse. We see struggle. We see upheaval. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see disease. We see death. We see poverty. We see all these problems and we try to come up with solutions. We see a riot and we think this is the solution. We have a disease and we think this is the solution. We have issues with our nation and, and we try to come up with solutions, but we don't really recognize the problem. We deal with the leaves, we don't deal with the roots of the tree. And so this morning, I want to start with the origin of sin. Because sin is at the root of every issue that any of us deal with. Sin is at the root of every issue our nation deals with. Sin is at the root of every issue your grandchild, your child, your neighbor, everyone you know, the root of their problem is sin. And until we recognize that, we'll never find competent answers. We'll never find solutions that work. We will just keep muddying up everything. Because this is the way that God has created the universe, and this is the way that sin has impacted that perfect creation. And so we go back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat from the fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. Now, I just want to make just a real clarification. This is something that's always been interesting to me. A lot of people will say that God has all these rules and he's a killjoy and he just doesn't want us to have fun. We live in Daytona Beach and Daytona Beach likes to do a lot of things. And a lot of them would say, I'm not going to follow that God because he's a rules God. Well, what I want you to realize is when Adam and Eve, the first two people existed, how many rules were there? One rule. And how hard was this rule? Think about it. What was the rule? Don't eat from this one tree. There are millions of trees with millions of fruits. So much. There's a buffet of fruit everywhere. Go have fun. Enjoy. There, it, there's no rules. This is just have, do whatever you want to do. Live how you want to live. I, I'm not going to get, have, enjoy. Just take, take and have a great time in this earth I've created for you. I have one rule, just really easy. One rule, one tree, don't eat of it. Does that sound like an overbearing God that has a bunch of lists for us. No, he's a loving God. Do you know why we have so many rules? Sin. The reason we have the issues is because sin has caused us to fall so far. And so we continue on. So the serpent says, uh, certainly not. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Where's Adam? Anybody know? Can anyone fill me in? Where's Adam in all this? He's close enough because she shares it with him. Uh, men, this is, this is a very poor example for all of us, Right? He just stood by. The one, he was, the, the, the one that was given to him as to be the love of his life, to be the one he protects. He just sits by and says, eh, I'll see where this goes. Right? He's not living into his purpose. So what do we see here next? Uh, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you know this is where religion started? This was man's answer to the question of being separated from God by sin. Religion started, man-made religion started the moment they sinned. What did they try to do? They tried to fix the problem by making leaves into clothes to cover their sin. Man-made religion is I can do it. I can fix this problem between me and God. I can deal with this problem of sin. I can pay this price, this cost of sin. I can pay for it. You know, the number one answer I hear when I ask people, you know, why should God let you into heaven? Why is God going to receive you into heaven? Because I'm a pretty good person and I've done more good than bad. Do you know what that means? That means they're trying to make clothes out of leaves spiritually. They're trying to, on their own power, their own might, and their own strength, make things right, pay that price. We may not realize this, but at this moment, everything changed in the world. Everything changed. Nothing was to be the same again. 
At this moment, disease entered the world. At this moment, every problem that we suffer from, this is the catalyst. This is the moment of its birth. This is the place and situation that you look at your life and you say, how did these things happen? Why is the world so messy? Why is my life so messy? Why are my thoughts this way? It's all rooted in this very moment of the birth of sin into the world. It was a small birth. They ate a fruit. What's the big deal? Why, why such a harsh penalty? Because at the very core of what they did, they said, God, not your will, but ours. Not your way, but mine. God, I know better than you. God, my way, it looks better to me right now, so I'm going to go my way instead of your way. And it invited separation. It invited a breaking of relationship between man and God. The disease of sin entered the world. 1 John 2.16 says this is how it, this, this thing, this disease, sin works. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. Sin in its nature is to pull us in through our lusts, whether it's the lust of something I see, the lust of something I can touch, or the something that gives me pride in my life. Eve saw the fruit, and she said, it looks good to eat. She said to herself, this is good food for me to eat. And she recognized if she ate of it, she would be like God. It would lift her up. Sin is the ultimate deceiver. It deceives us into death. It deceives us into destruction. Now, what I want you to think about, if the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life lead to sin, and sin is an actual thing, and it's something that we commit, how much sin have you committed? Today. How many things are you distracted by because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride of life? I knew a pastor that would give his kids money. I'm not going to do this. But he would give his kids money every time they could tell him which one of these was the commercial using to sell their, project, their, their product. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. This is the tool that Satan uses to get sin everywhere, all over the world, simultaneously. And it spreads quickly. We thought COVID spread quickly and nowhere even close to as fast as sin spread. We're told in scripture, as soon as they made this decision to disobey God, walk their own way, do it their own way, uh, they had two sons. And sin went from eating a fruit they were told not to, to a brother killing his own brother in cold blood. Sin escalated from eating a fruit to killing a loved brother. And it only got worse. It's saturated. We're told generationally in, in Genesis chapter 6 that now there, we don't know how many people, but there could have been as many as a billion people on the earth. And it says the Lord saw how great the wickedness. This is Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of human hearts was only evil all the time. Think about that. Every thought at every moment was evil all the time. Every thought was selfish. Every thought was self-centered. Every thought was evil all the time. There was no break in the evil thoughts. This is how sin works. 
We underestimate the impact of sin. We underestimate the cost of sin. We underestimate the power of sin. Sin destroys. It destroys your marriage. It destroys your relationship with your family. It destroys everything at work. It destroys your finances. It destroys your heart. It destroys your mind. Sin, undealt with, brings death. And it's the most deadly thing there is. And it's everywhere all the time. You and I have never existed a day without sin impacting our life. You've never known a life without sin. You've never known a world without sin. You've never known a day without sin. Sin is outside you. Sin is inside you. Sin is everywhere. And sin is the disease of death. And until we recognize the impact of sin, until we realize how big a deal this is, until we understand even in our, uh, our approach to being good, we still sin. Then we begin to recognize the importance of the cross. Then we begin to recognize the cost because sin spreads and destroys everything. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers and kingdoms of the air, the spirits who are at work and those who are disobedient. I've talked to so many people, and this is something that I have a burden for. Many people will say to me, well, I was born in a Christian family. I was born in a Christian nation. When I get a survey and it asks me, am I Muslim, am I Hindu, am I atheist, or am I Christian? I mark Christian, even though there's not a single moment in my life I can look to and say, I was lost and then I was found. I was blind spiritually, now I see. I have been born again. I have been twice born. I have repented of my sin. I have trusted in Christ as my Savior. He is the Lord of my life. Christianity is not a culture. Christianity is not a country. Christianity is not something you have because you're born in a family that other people have it. It is a personal decision that you make with Jesus and say, I received what you paid for for me. And until we recognize that, until we see that truth, it'll just be somebody else's faith. It'll be someone else's truth. It will not be our own. And so I have to recognize, and you have to recognize, we all have to recognize that we were dead in our sin. I was dead in my sin. I can tell you at the age of 16 years old, the Holy Spirit of God spoke directly to my heart and said, Mike, will you give me your life or not? I was lost. I was a sinner. I was separated from God. And through his grace and his love, he asked if I was interested. He came to me and offered me the grace of his salvation. But I know I was lost. I know if I died, I'd be separated from him forever. I was not born a Christian. I was not born saved. I was born needing a savior. 1 John 1.8 if we claim to be without sin, we've become, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you continue to read that verse, it says if, if we say we're without sin, we're calling God a liar. Because God says all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. This morning, do you recognize that problem? Do we recognize that problem in our world? Does our government recognize this problem that it's a nation full of sinners? That I'm a sinner. 
You know, I've had a lot of people that I've been able to minister to, and, and I can remember one very distinct person that I love very much, a great guy. He loves Jesus. But he said for most of his life, the one hang-up, why he wouldn't come to church, why he wouldn't get committed in his faith, is because he didn't want to be told he was a sinner. It almost it aggravated him. It agitated him. When he heard they call him, him a sinner, he said, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. And maybe in your life you were raised and your parents said this is right and this wrong and you picked mostly right and you feel like you're a pretty good person. And when someone calls you a sinner, it's offensive to you. I'm not calling you a sinner because I'm pointing you out in a crowd. I'm pointing out the whole crowd. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. That's the reality of being a human is you are a sinner who needs to be saved from your sin. That disease did not avoid you because you've been good. It's penetrated your heart. It's penetrated your thoughts. It's penetrated everything about you. You cannot be cured because uh, you think you're good enough that it doesn't affect you. And so we're all sinners. That's the bad news. And if we don't know the bad news, the good news means nothing. If I don't believe in sin, the cross is pointless. If sin has no power, Jesus wasted his time. Sin has to be understood. It came into the world through a person. It exists everywhere all the time and is at the root of everything wrong in the universe. I was told when I was a young man, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is a liar. It looks good. It's like that credit card deal. You can get everything right now. You're just going to pay triple for it. Right? But it's even worse than that. Because it'll give you a little fun. It'll give you, it, the flesh loves to be fed, but then the flesh gets real hungry. And then the flesh dies. You see, it's all a lie. And the enemy is perpetuating that lie throughout the whole world all the time. And until we recognize that, we'll never truly recognize the answer. Because this is what we're told in Scripture in Hebrews 9.22. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Do you know how much sin costs? It costs perfect blood. Let me say that again because that's big. The cost of sin is the shedding of perfect blood. If there's no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If there's never been forgiveness, if there's never been the shedding of perfect blood, you and I will not be forgiven. It's only through the shedding of perfect blood. So here's God's answer. God has revealed it through his word. You know the beautiful thing about scripture is God wrote it down so we can read it. He didn't just tell some people and say, hey, spread this around. He said, no, record what I'm telling you so that 2,000 years later in Port Orange, Florida, at First Baptist Port Orange, Mike Bailey can share it with those people. This is what God has for us. He wants us to know this truth. He wants us to know where sin came from. He wants us to know how to deal with sin. And here's what he says, Hebrews 9:26. But he, meaning Jesus, was appeared once for all, the culmination at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin. How? By the sacrificing of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that, they face judgment. There's an absolute judgment of sin. Sin will be dealt with. Every human sin will be dealt with. Adolf Hitler's sin will be dealt with. 
And you know, I think it's merciful that God gives us about a hundred years of life. Can you imagine Adolf Hitler living for a thousand years? How much sin he would produce that God would have to judge. God is just and he is judging all the sin of all time, of all people, of all things. And so we see that there is an appointed once for uh, judgment and then we stand before the Lord. So Christ was sacrificed how many times? Once to take away the sin of many. And he will appear a second time, this time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so Christ, who is God made flesh, humbled himself in the form of a man, was tempted in every way that we're tempted by this sin. He was tempted by the lust of the eyes. He was tempted by the lust of the flesh. He was tempted by the pride of life. You want to know where? Go watch when he gets done with his fasting in the desert for 40 days, and he actually meets Satan. He is tempted three times. And through it, how does he deal with it? He quotes his father and says, I will not worship you. I will only worship the one true God. I will not, man does not eat up from bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. He deals with the temptation. He walks to 33 years. And at the end of the 33rd year, he goes to the cross. His whole mission for existing was to deal with the thing none of us could deal with, to pay the price that none of us could pay, to deal with the problem of the universe. And so he came and he paid for that, cost, that price and he took the cost of our sin and he was dead for three days and he arose victorious. Now death has no more sing, sting, sin has no more power. And he calls us to repent and believe and follow him so that we may have this life. Why? Because he's returning with that gift. He's returning to take us home. He's returning. And when, when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he does not see a sinful human being. He sees the blood of Christ that has covered a sinful human being. He doesn't see the flaws of Mike Bailey. He doesn't see the rejection of Mike Bailey towards him. He sees his own son's blood that's covered the lentil of my life who when that time of judgment comes, I will be given freedom and victory. And if you know him as your savior, if you've made that decision, you know him as your savior, you recognize that on the resurrection Sunday, the day he came back to life, everything changed in a whole new way. Jesus went to the cross to save you from your own sin. He didn't have to, he chose to. Do you know why he chose to? Because he loves you. When you see that cross, let it remind you of that cost. Let it remind us all of the cost. He shed his own blood because that was the only way we could have salvation. So this morning, how do we live this out? How do I apply this to my life? How do I live with this truth in mind? Well, first, you have to decide what you believe about sin. You know, there's a lot of views about sin today. There's a lot of things you can think about sin, especially your own sin. You know, one of the things I've recognized is that I, I personally don't like to call myself a sinner and I don't like to recognize my own sin, but I know almost nobody likes to do that. We like to see the sin in everybody else, but I start looking at myself, I'm pretty good. I, I don't know if that was really sin. I don't know if that was actually a sin that I, no, it was sin. I sinned. When I did that, I sinned and I need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. He is faithful and true to forgive me. But if I keep going on thinking, well, I'm just, I'm good. 
Even as a believer, look, we're saved from the big consequence of sin. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin some more in our lives at time to time that we're going to need to confess and trust the Lord. It really comes down to what do you believe about sin? Until you recognize sin for what it is, none of this other stuff's going to make any sense or matter. Because it's all built on the fact that God became flesh to die for the penalty of sin. Second, take inventory on how sin has impacted your life. Are there sins in your life that have come between you and your spouse? Are there sins in your life that have come between you and people you should be loving? Are there sins in your life that have come between you and, and financial health or, or any of the areas of your life, whether it's physical health, spiritual health, mental health? Are there sins that you haven't repented of, that you've asked for forgiveness, that you're holding on to? Sins that you haven't dealt with that bring anger to you? Sins that have planted deep within you that you haven't dealt with? That God's saying today, I want you to deal with those. Don't overlook them. We all need to take inventory regularly because sin creeps in quickly. It's like a little yeast. It gets into the bread and it affects the whole loaf. We need to ask God to reveal these things to us. And so asking God to show you any sin in your life. King David, after he committed a atrocious sin, he went to the Lord and he said, search me and try me to see if there's any wickedness within me. Is there anything within me? Have I allowed sin in and not recognized it? Is there sin that I haven't noticed in my own heart? Please show it to me so that I can confess it and give it to you so you can heal me and I can move forward. Are you willing to do that today? When you realize those things in your life, confess and receive the forgiveness. If you have confessed a sin, don't hold on to it anymore. God's not holding on to it. Let it go. Let it be separated forever. Don't hold on to sin from 20 years ago. If you've repented of it, it's gone. Some of us live in bondage because we haven't recognized the forgiveness we've been given. That sin isn't there anymore. That sin is not on your record. That sin isn't held against you. Let it go. Move forward in victory. Live a victorious life. Does God want you to live in shame today? Does God want you to live in defeat today? No, he wants you to live a victorious life knowing that he's paid the price, he's brought forgiveness, he's dealt with sin. When we recognize how bad sin is, we recognize how good it is to be forgiven of it. That now I have life and I have hope and I have grace in a way that I could never have explained before. And so live in victory. This morning, can we live in victory? Can we walk in victory? Can we know even when we stumble, we can get right back up and our Father is right there to carry us and take us on to the next thing he has for us? Do you live in victory? Have you received salvation knowing you're victorious now? You're a child of the King. Your eternity is set. You don't have to worry about the consequence of sin. You don't have to worry about the second judgment that comes after this life. You only have to live daily, committed to the Lord, receiving what he has for you. To do that, you have to be twice born. You have to be born again. Have you been born again? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is what? He is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Are there sins today you need to just ask for forgiveness for? It's a promise. He, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to recognize the sin in your life. I want you to be honest about it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive you of that sin, and I'm going to clean you of it. His part is much bigger than our part. But if we don't do our part, it won't happen. 
And so we have to confess and we have to trust that he will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. What is God saying to you specifically right now? What is he saying to your heart? Who do you need to share this message with? Who needs to hear this message? Who is living a life where they don't even recognize how impactful sin is? And they need to know the bad news before they know the good news. Who's living totally defeated because they haven't lived into their victory that you can share this with and encourage today? Let's pray.